Calling all AEC professionals. Get ready for unparalleled professional insights with detailed and original podcasts by RCAT. This is the podcast that brings you the untold stories and lessons learned behind the design and delivery of a building project. Hey, it's Sharice Lakeside, aka the CSI Kraken, and your host. Join me as we dive deep into the tales of conflict, triumph, and sheer ingenuity. Yeah, so when Serena was named for the, it was going to be named for the building, you know, we really were able to work with teams at Nike Branding and how to really infuse her influence and identity in the very public spaces. Detailed features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who spill the beans on the most complex, interesting, and downright odd building conditions they've encountered. Another challenge of the of the shuttle is actually and putting it in launch position is how you brace that seismically. It's really supported by only two pins at the base of the booster rockets. And there's a large base isolator that's underneath the shuttle that kind of prevents it from moving too much in an earthquake. The, you know, when you have 600 people or 300 people in a room, acoustically, you really need a high floor to floor so that you can have the right acoustic environment for people to be able to talk and that, that speech intelligibility is really good. Every episode unveils lessons learned and connects you to the products you need to navigate similar challenges. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Detailed today and be prepared for the unexpected on your next project. Every building has a story and we are here to tell it. Hey girl, hey! Hey, Nadri, what's up? You know, just here doing a podcast. Oh yeah, me too, what's up, hey? Hey. <laughs> well, before we start the show today, we want to say thank you so much for all the support you have given us the past episodes. It means so much to us. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, y'all have been so amazing and we have received so much love and awesomeness that we actually decided to end our season with a wrap-up episode where we're going to discuss our thoughts throughout the season and more. So do you have a question about the ladies that we've talked about? Do you have questions for us? Want to know what plans we have for future episodes? What do you want to know? <laughs> yeah, what Jessica said. Please keep sending us your questions and comments to our email, shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. And you might hear them at the end of the season. So stay tuned. Let's start the music. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of She Builds Podcast, where we tell the untold stories of women in the architecture and building construction industry, one lady at a time. On today's episode, we will talk about Mariana Griswold Van Rensselaer. She is considered to be one of the first pioneering critics and theorists of American architecture and landscape architecture. I'm Jessica Rogers, hungering down in Washington, D.C. I'm joined by my besties and fellow co-hosts, Lizzie and Norjuri. Hey, girl. Hey, I'm Lizzie Rahr, sheltering in place in San Francisco. And I'm Norjuri Rivas, hanging out in my closet in Houston, Texas. <laughs> yeah. All right. So like always, before we begin, a quick disclaimer. 
we are not historians or experts. Right. So if we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us. Leave us a comment and we will all continue learning together. Awesome. Okay, so now to this week's episode. For today, I'm going to take it way back. And to be honest, this lady wasn't even a practicing architect. But she had a lot to say and had a lot of influence. And she was somewhat controversial. So who was this person? Right. So today we're going to talk about Mariana Griswold Van Rensselaer. She was a pioneering critic and theorist of American architecture and landscape architecture. And in the 1870s and in the late 1890s, she was considered to be one of the most influential voices in the field. But here's the kicker. She never actually practiced architecture. Wait, what? Yeah, I need more information. Right. Okay. so let's start at the beginning. Mariana Ali Griswold was born on February 25th, 1851 to a wealthy family in New York. They made their money in the Canton tea trade, real estate and finances. So unlike the other women that we have talked about, she didn't have any like real challenges when it came to her education. And that's because she came from a very wealthy family. Mariana was educated at home with private tutors And really, the only significant thing in her childhood was that in 1868, when she was just 17 years old, her family moved to Dresden, Germany. So while she was there, Mariana became fluent in French and German, and she really embraced her new European life. She explored topics like art and architecture and landscape criticism, and her social status garnered connections to some pretty prominent figures like Charles Darwin geologist Nathaniel Southgate Schaller, naturalist Henry David Thoreau, and botanist Asa Gray, you know, just to name a few. Charles Darwin, as in like Darwinism, <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and Henry David Thoreau. I mean, those are some huge names. This lady's got some connections. Yeah, uh, Mariana knew some people. And with these people in her circle, Mariana really got into things like aesthetic sensibility, botany, and geology, which is basically the principles of landscape architecture. Um, So five years later, Mariana came back to the States. In the meantime, she also got married in 1873 to a man named Schuyler Van Rensselaer. Mariana and Schuyler came from very prominent families, and they were both a part of New York's elite Dutch families of the 17th century. Was her husband an architect? No, he was actually a mining engineer and faced an early death in 1884. Wow. They weren't married for that long. Did they have any kids? Yeah, they had one son, George Griswold Van Rensselaer. He was actually a member of the Harvard University class of 1896. So back to Mariana. So she was already writing in 1876. She wrote poems, children's literature. She was also doing art criticism for the American Art Review. Okay, she was a writer, but where's her connection to architecture? Did she study architecture? So in simple words, she learned about architecture from the people that she knew and the circles that she was in. So when she was younger, she did spend time at her family's Newport summer house designed by Robert Morris Hunt, a very prominent architect at the time. And I would say that's where her first encounter with architecture began. Uh, But also in her circles, you have to think about the time that's all about like high society or at least the American version of high society. So fast forwarding to her adult life, 
I mentioned about her scientist and nature friends, but she was also friends with Edith Wharton, who was also from high society, and together they loved to talk about the homes and gardens of the upper class. Between the two of them, they mingled amongst the artists and affluent patrons of the arts, eventually leading her to write for an influential journal called Garden and Forest, which also made her the sole female editorial voice. Mm, Okay, I see where this is going now. So Edith Wharton is actually the aunt of the first woman landscape architect, Beatrix Farrand. And that's who we're going to talk about next time. And Edith and Beatrix's family had five generations of gardeners. Yeah. So Mariana, she basically knew enough people to feel confident in her beliefs about art, architecture and landscape and her own ideas that she translated via criticism in her editorials influenced other designers. But she is most credited for her influential role in the creation of landscape architecture as a discipline but also her contribution to a broader public understanding of the arts in America. So this lady helped create a profession. That is next level. (laughs) Yeah. So speaking about next level, she had a close relationship with none other than Frederick Law Olmsted. Ring a bell? Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Olmsted is regarded as the founder of American landscape architecture. He's best known for designing New York City's Central Park, the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C., the Biltmore Estate in North Carolina, and the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago. Yes. So that also helped her landscape architecture street cred and her social credit street cred because they worked in the same wheelhouse. They wrote in the same publication called Century Magazine. Mariana was a fan of Olmsted, specifically of this project where Olmsted collaborated with H.H. Richardson. She thought it was a great example of architecture being built in regards to the nature of the site. Who that? H.H. Richardson was a famous architect. No, he was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't remember him from school? I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I don't remember specifically what he did from school, but I remember learning about him. I don't. So I actually know someone who went to architecture school with his great granddaughter, and now she has her own architecture firm in the Bay Area. Oh, I see. So you're super connected, too. And also, that's why you know his name. Okay, I don't know about that, but... Yeah, Uh uh yeah, no, no, no. You're just like Mariana. Like, you just, like, know people, and that's how you know about H.H. Richardson. Like... (laughs) Don't lie. I don't know about all that, but... (laughs) Nerdry and I were too busy falling asleep and not having in class. I don't know if I want to say that. So we don't even recognize the name. (laughs) And uh, sorry, we don't live in California where we know we can rub elbows with these like fancy people okay. that know other people. <laughs> let's go back to the story, Jessica. OK, yes. So let's go back to Olmsted. In 1893, the Chicago World's Fair opened on a site that had been transformed by Olmsted. So thinking the fair as the great site of the century. Mariana wrote about its attractions for Century Magazine and for the Rands McNally and Co.'s Handbook of the World's Columbian Exposition. In the fall, just as the fair was closing, she honored Olmsted with a laudatory profile in Century, 
Mariana Art Out of Doors publication was also published in 1893. For this volume, she worked her seven-part series on landscape gardening, which included some of Olmsted's work, and added several of her unsigned garden and forest editorials. And a new edition of Art Out of Doors with additional material appeared in 1925. Rather than altering the original text, Mariana added a supplementary chapter entitled Changes. She believed in the preceding 32 years, landscape architecture had become a more ambitious and a more versatile profession. What else did she write about? And what other work of hers can I look up? Sure. So some of the publications that you can look up include her most memorable work titled Henry Hobson Richardson and His Works, H.H. Richardson. Maybe we should pick up that book. (laughs) I will look it up. I'm going to educate myself. Yes. Uh, me too. So there's also the one that we mentioned before, Art Out of Doors, Hints on a Good Taste in Gardening, History of the City of New York in the 17th Century, and her contributions to publications like American Architecture Building News, American Art Review, Century Magazine, and Garden Forest. Some of her notable works also include her criticism on the Boston Public Library, Madison Square Garden, and they were both designed by Mickim, Mead, and White. Oh, yeah. They were part of the City Beautiful movement. Yeah. She also wrote about topics related to architecture client relations, advocating for clients to seek the guidance from an architect, no matter how small. Amen. She really understood the <laughs> Yeah. She really understood the context that a designer brings to the design process. What does that mean? So The example that she gives is of a budding landscape architect, right? A landscape architect should study visual composition and art theories, similar to a prospective painter would. And, you know, like some 3D dimensional training of the sculptor. And of course, the person should travel to Europe, you know, to understand the works of their previous predecessors. Mm. And it kind of reminds me of this notion of the master builder, like... So, ladies, let me pose this question to you guys. Do you remember something that we learned at school, either like anecdotally in a class or solely to like inform your designs? Like I'm talking about like a random thing that you never would have thought of to look into, but it's somehow related to your design concept. Give us an example, Jessica. Sure. Okay. so I thought of a project that I worked on studio. I think it was maybe second year. We basically had to design a complex that included horticulture, so like farming. And I basically had to design where my crops would grow. Yep. And I had to think about like sunlight, how much sunlight is needed per crop and like consider like crop rotations for the different Mm -hmm. crops and like row dimensions between pastures and fields it's like something like i'm not a farm girl i'm not a nature girl (laughs) but yet i'm here learning about this so that i can design my space yeah i remember i also did that because there was like a garden as part of my thesis project i remember looking up like when fruits and vegetables are harvested in that area and like having Mm -hmm. to figure out and like how much space they take up so like how much area do i denote to the blueberries versus the corn versus the yeah like i thought of your thesis when i when i read this yeah talk to us about your thesis lizzie (laughs) yeah so for my thesis it i mean i mentioned the community garden but it was a community garden as part of a 
um, housing and community center for adults with autism um, and specifically focusing on sensory design because people with autism have varied levels of sensory, either hypersensitivity or hyposensitivity. And so thinking about how you design for someone with autism, but also knowing that the spectrum is so wide and there's so many different levels um, within autism that you have to account for. And yeah, I felt like I spent a lot of time learning about autism and like then trying to figure out, well, how do I integrate that into the design of a building or a space? Yeah, I remember your your thesis and I remember learning so much about autism through your research and design. Mm -hmm. I actually think that's what's really beautiful about architecture. Like, for example, I come from a musical family. So in my head, like, you know how a band has the conductor and mm -hmm. maybe he doesn't know how to play every single. He's not an expert on every single instrument, but he needs to know enough about every single one to direct the whole symphony. Right. Right. And that's what architects do. Like we have to know enough about a lot in order to create a masterpiece in a building. Yeah, exactly. We know. A little bit of a lot of things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So can I talk to you guys about something that I found to be kind of controversial about this lady? Okay. Yes. Sure. Okay. So let me start out by saying that during this time in her life, circa 1893, 1894, it was the first wave of the suffragist movement. Uh-huh. So homegirl was all for the conventional, I'm saying this with air quotes, ideologies of domesticity. She even went to Colorado when women were granted the right to vote there because she thought voting was everyone's civic responsibility. But she believed that women were weaker than men, that women's bodies were fitted for motherhood. That, I mean, it's true. We, we got the parts. Sure. But yeah. that women needed more intellectual liberty, but men are the executive since they had the whole economic responsibility that they should be the ones to make all the decisions. I'm so confused, though, because she, so she was pro voting, yeah. women voting. But then what? Mm -hmm. And wasn't she a single mother? She worked. Yes. Homegirl was a hypocrite. Oh, dear. <laughs> yep. Calling it out. Uh, I don't know if we want to say that. Yes. Yep. She was a hypocrite. Hypocrite. Oh, goodness. That's harsh. <laughs> Come at me, bro. <laughs> I, at me okay <laughs> right in the comments I stand by this statement because even though she was a single mother and how she explains it is that women are sometimes forced to take the leading roles in their own families but this was a misfortune and not an opportunity hmm. so I think another quote that talks about her hypocrisy is a quote from the pioneering women of American architecture. Um, this is a really good website and resource for everyone to join. You can or to look at. You can look at the show notes in the bibliography of where I find this. Um, but so this is a statement that they said. She was proud of her journalistic professionalism and insisted that editors and publishers extend her the respect and the prompt payment that her work merited. She published her books intended for a wide audience under the socially authoritative byline, Mrs. Schuyler Van Rensselaer, 
But her essays, which were aimed at a more intellectually engaged audience, were signed with the gender-neutral M.G. Van Rantenmeer. Although she was ardently committed to advancing the architectural and landscape architectural profession, she never suggested that they were appropriate careers for women. You know, I'm watching a show Mm -hmm. about the women who opposed the Equal Rights Amendment or the ERA, which was supposed to give women the same rights men had. And to me, that sounds like an oxymoron. I mean, much like what Mariana said sounds contradictory. But through the show, I'm learning about the other perspective. Like, while I don't necessarily agree, part of their slogan was stop ERA, which stood for stop taking our privileges. And in their minds, like giving giving those rights to women was taking certain privileges away, like um, separate female restrooms or exceptions to the military draft or things like that. I mean, they honestly thought that the ERA attacked their way of life and it would lead to more terrible disruptions to society. So while it's really hard for me to understand that point of view, maybe Mariana thought that society worked a certain way and she she thought that it wasn't broken, so it didn't need fixing. You know what I mean? Maybe her thoughts had to do with like fear of the unknown. Maybe she didn't know what would happen if if there was this new way of life. I don't know. But what's weird about that, though, is that she was someone working and whether or not she felt like, oh, she was forced into that right because her husband passed away and that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. It just it still seems weird. Like, I guess it, it feels like it's not unknown to her. Right. But I also just find it really interesting that she like she knew enough about what was going on that she published under different names, depending on who she was aiming towards. Right. Which exactly. Yeah. Which shows that she wanted to be taken seriously in both circles, even though she felt like women shouldn't be part of those circles. That's the part, I guess, where I get confused. You know, her actions yeah. versus what her stated beliefs were don't align to me. She don't practice what she preach. Yeah. Well, she agreed with the equity and pay mm-hmm. and having a voice. Depending on who listened to that voice, that's how she signed off. But she didn't believe in women actually doing the profession like landscape architecture, which is interesting. But anyway, can we just name a few of her awards and honors? Keep it positive. Do you mean like the time she became an honorary member of the American Institute of Architects around 1890, even though she wasn't even an architect? That shows how much influence she had on the profession. For sure. Mm -hmm. Or how she became an honorary member of the American Society of Landscape Architects in 1920. Yeah. She also received the gold medal from the American Academy of Arts and Letters in 1923. So despite her ideas on equal rights for women and the fact that Van Rensselaer was not a designer, she had a profound appreciation and understanding of landscape architecture. Educating people, she once remarked, was one of the two things worth doing in the world. And she succeeded. Her historical and critical writings on landscape architecture would educate generations of students, amateurs, educators, and practitioners. Mariana died a month before her 83rd birthday at her home in 1934 in New York. What are your overall thoughts on Mariana? We already know you think she's a hypocrite, but 
Mm-hmm. Other than that, what what's your biggest take? What did you most enjoy or something? So this woman is very fascinating to me. I do think she's a hypocrite. I don't understand how you can be all pro women um, getting equal pay and making your voices heard, but still like hide that part where you change your name, how you sign your signature. And how you don't think women should um, you're you might be forced to become a single mother, but that's not something that you should try to like. It's not like a good thing, though. It's like a misfortune. But her like social, I guess, and political notions aside, I think what makes this woman so fascinating is that she built, if you will, a profession. She advocated for a profession. That wasn't existent at that time. Um, And her writings on very prolific projects that still exist today, like the Chicago World's Fair, that was like a monumental event. Mm. And her name is written all over that book that talks about it. I agree. I I was most impressed with that, that she helped create a profession. And and the fact that she was honored by the AIA and she wasn't even an architect, like she really was yeah. so influential in so many ways. I'm really happy that you shared her story today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So now it's time for the second half of our episode, The Karyatid. So, Nordry, can you remind the people who or what a karyatid is? Sure thing, chicken wing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say it every time. <laughs> yes. A karyatid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek-style building. Each episode, we'll choose a karyatid, a woman who's working today, doing her thing, furthering the profession through her work, and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. So without further ado, this week's karyatid is... Donna Sink. Yay, Donna Sink. Yes. So Donna Sink is an architect and a fellow podcaster. Um, I first came across Donna when I was listening to another architecture podcast, and then I started following her on Twitter. And okay, so she has liked some of my tweets, and she follows our show. Very cool. Yes. So um, but that is not a bias in why I selected her. Right. Um, Because Donna, she is a practicing architect at Roland Design based in Indianapolis. And besides having her own small practice, she was the campus architect at Indianapolis Museum of Art. And she's involved in the local arts and design community as past president and current member of the Indiana chapter of the AA a board member at People for Urban Progress and a member of the Indianapolis Sign Ordinance Revision Task Force. And in 2016, the Indianapolis Business Journal named her a woman of influence. Ah, like Mariana. Yes. And via Twitter, she also has a lot of comments and criticism about the profession that reminded me of Mariana, just modern day. Mm. Do you remember? 150 characters. Do you remember... What she retweeted of yours or what she liked? It was basically the toxicity of firm culture. And I said that it begins with studio culture and how from school we're taught just horrible habits of like endless working hours to complete a project. And that translates to the work that we do after college. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I did it a little bit more concise because 150 carats. That's Twitter follows on Twitter. She builds pod. Um, anyway, she um, but she liked it. And in my head, we are friends. So. <laughs> of course. But, but that's not why. Yeah. But that's not why I chose her. She's very influential. And I love hearing her her take on the profession, especially like as a woman. And she's doing her thing. So, yeah, just like Mariana. It was so exciting when she like when we noticed that she liked us and we already had chosen her for this episode. So, yeah. That was yeah, so cool. So we were so excited. So, hey, girl. Hey. Hope she likes it. You're find hey, out. Donna. Yeah. Hey, girl. Hey. Let us know. Maybe you could come on the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So with that being said, we are at the end of our episode. But before we go, we would like to give thanks to CMYK for the music that has your toes tapping and to our technical producer, John W., for working his magic. And of course, to all of you listeners out there, we hope you got inspired by Mariana and Donna. Maybe you should check out their work and learn some more. Again, thanks for listening. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com. Or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast or on Twitter at SheBuildsPod. Until then, bye! A laudatory. A laudatory. Laudatory, thank you. What does that word mean? I don't know. What's that? To be be lauded is like, um, it's recognized? Yeah, it's recognition or like that kind of thing. Okay, so okay, you can say that again. Sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> I'm gonna start from the beginning. Hey, designers and curious minds, ever wondered about the stories hiding within your building's walls? I'm Carrie Seaburn, structural engineer and host of Unstruct the podcast that decodes and simplifies major concepts of structural design. Behind the math and physics, structural engineering simply predicts building behavior. Join me as we simplify the complex, making structural design accessible to everyone. Nowadays, instead of measuring it via cost, we're saying, well, what about carbon, you know? We've got two levers now that we can, if if an architect has an inefficient design, we can hit them with two levers if you like. The official casualty figure is 55,000. Everybody I talked to told me that the actual figure is at least three times as much. And I believe that. I mean, seeing what I saw, Turkish codes are good and, and they have been improving, but compliance was completely lacking. Fluent in steel, concrete, masonry, and timber design, I'll bring you leading engineers to dissect the tales behind their building structure. Whether you're an architect, contractor, engineer, or just love a good story, this podcast is for you. Yeah, beam penetrations. That's a fun topic on this project. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Unstruct. From within your walls, hear the story behind how your building stands today.